This is Triple H, 100.1 FM. Uh, good afternoon to you and welcome to another edition of Rotary Matters. Uh, my name is Ian Stewart and it's good to be with you with another really good Rotary story. Uh, today we're going to be meeting an extraordinary Rotarian. She's a teacher from the New South Wales Central Coast. Her name is Jan Pryor and in 2009 she went to Nepal. Now Jan fell in love with the country the glorious Himalaya mountains and the Nepalese people. She went back two years later on holiday and was confronted with the heart-wrenching story of two children whose parents had died and who desperately needed to be cared for. Jan was so moved that she set about finding a home for the children, which she called the Bright Future Learning Centre. The project grew to employing staff and providing everything needed for a home for 10 children. She raised money back in Australia to ensure the stability and longevity of the home, a home full of love and kindness. In doing this, she learned that some children were in fact abandoned by their mothers who were unable to care for them. A story we've heard before on Rotary Matters where children, for example, in Kenya were cast aside as their mothers could no longer afford to keep them. This further inspired Jan Pryor to create sustainable, self-funding lifestyle programs to educate and empower disadvantaged women, a project which she continues to do through the organisation she founded in 2013 called the Diddy Foundation, that's D-I-D-I. What began with four donated sewing machines has blossomed into many areas of humanitarian aid, maternal and child health and basic education for underprivileged women and children. Having lived through the tragic earthquake of 2015 and more recently COVID, the Didi Foundation embraced new challenges and continues to assist disadvantaged communities. We'll be finding out more about the ways in which the Didi Foundation has now helped thousands of women in Nepal through its training courses in sewing, in literacy, in numeracy and in IT, and how it caters to minority groups and those with no means of self-support. How it has expanded and way beyond the dreams that Jan had when she first went to Nepal back in 2009. So please stand by. Now, just in case you're joining us for the first time, let me give you a quick elevator pitch about Rotary. Underpinning the whole global movement, and it is worldwide, is the core concept of putting service above self. And it's stories about these extraordinary, generous, and heartwarming acts of service that forms the basis of this weekly programme, Rotary Matters. So each week we bring you an interview to explain and provide insight into a specific Rotary course or project. We might hear from an Australian building a school in Nepal, for example, like Jan, who we'll be hearing from today, or in running an Australian, uh, or an Australian running an orphanage in Kenya. Uh, close to home, we could be focusing on running a food bank in suburban Sydney, removing graffiti, starting a community garden, providing learning resources for schools, or helping women suffering domestic abuse. It's been said that Rotarians dig wells from which they will never drink, restore eyesight for those they'll never see, build houses in which they'll never live, vaccinate children they'll never meet, and educate children they'll never know. They'll feed hungry children regardless of colour, race or politics. So in Rotary Matters, we bring you interviews which delve into some of these challenges. And along the way, we meet some inspirational Rotarians 
like Jan Pryor, who we'll be hearing from today, and their beneficiaries. So, as I said, we're talking about the Diddy Foundation, which Jan founded in Nepal. We'll learn how it came about, what it does, and the impact that it makes. And I spoke with uh, Jan Pryor a few days ago on Zoom. Well, our guest today on Rotary Matters is Jan Pryor. <clears throat> Jan is the president of the Rotary Club of North Lakes Tookley. But the main reason for having her with us today is to talk about the Didi Foundation that she began some years ago. Jan Pryor, give us an idea, if you would, uh, why, when, and how did it all begin for you? Well, first of all, Ian, thank you for asking me to come on. And um, I'm just so proud of the work that you do for Rotary and promoting Rotary. Um, I'm also involved in Rorks. Yeah, so with my story, I was going to Nepal and, and made a lot of community connections from 2009. And then in 2011, I just unexpectedly started an orphanage. And um, you unexpectedly I, started an orphanage, Jan. There's more to it yeah. than that, surely. Well, I was I was supporting a children's home, and I prefer not to use the word orphanage. Actually, it's children's home because it is their home. Um, I was support already. I was raising funds to support a project over there, and it it fell through in April 2009. And I clearly remember the day because in the a couple of hours later, um, some people came in and told of this story of these two children whose parents had died and that they were really searching for somewhere for these kids to um, stay. And my friends just looked at me and said, wow, you do so much good work here. Why don't you start your own orphanage? So I emailed my 13 friends <laughs> in my email list and both my daughter and, and my good friend Linda said, come on, let's do it. And let's say Linda is still on my board of directors and keeps still saying yes. <laughs> and um, probably due to, it has a lot to do with our success, I think. And um, yeah, so in two weeks, I set up a children's home and then I came home because um, I was on school holidays and um, the children arrived. So where so, where where did, where, did, where and how did you find the premises in which to begin this children's home? Um, well, we we lived in a little town outside of Kathmandu City. It's called, it was actually called Pepsi Cola, <laughs> and and because um, there was a Pepsi factory there, <sighs> and I'd been supporting an orphanage, and I actually went with children from that orphanage and the house mum of that children's home to find these premises. And um, also I had a support network. I'd been going there for three years and oh, okay. or four years and I had a community support network. Right. So, and really good mentors. I mean, it just, it just didn't happen. It happened with guidance. And we had, we did a feasibility study and we did um, a study on what happens if I couldn't make this work, what would happen to the children because the children were paramount. Anyway, so... We went hunting and we found this beautiful home that was um, just built. And so we leased the bottom floor. And the children's home that I actually supported, um, their manager had just been replaced. So I took their manager, who was very skilled in working with children. And so it just all fell into place until I found out that my orphan children weren't orphans. Oh. <laughs> and that was the following year. Yeah, so, so what that was, was the story? What was the story then? Well, it was absolutely devastating because I thought I was starting a children's home for children who didn't have parents. Um, so I stepped back and, and I looked at the culture 
and I looked at, um, because it's a Hindu um, community or country, and they have a caste system. And so a lot of women, um, once they get married and if they in the lower caste, if they're not educated, they're often married at a very young age. And then if that husband um, passes away or um, leaves for another woman, um, then she has to leave. And generally she has to move into that family's home. So um, then they don't want her. They, they don't sort of have, they can't, they're too poor to look after the children. So she's um, asked to leave. And so um, these women stand there with nowhere to go. Or, you know, the husband dies and they can't, there's no possible way of raising funds to raise their children. So it seems like I ended up with these six babies who were incredibly sick and malnourished. And um, anyway, it, it was very expensive um, experience to start off with. And so I actually stopped with six children. And then I, I looked at these women whose ch children I was raising and I made a decision to support women um, to become educated and to start a career where they could um, raise their own funds to support their own children. So I didn't have that responsibility. So, um, yeah, so I think it was 2013, we bought 13 sewing machines. Oh, sorry, sorry, five sewing machines. And, um, and in this process, I'd met a young boy, his name's Sadip, and he was a, rot a rotaractor. And so I needed him to sign some paperwork from uh, the district governor of Rotary in Nepal. And so he zapped off in his motorbike and did that. And came, um, and we became very good friends. And he's actually my CEO today. So um, we've had a really strong Rotary connection right from the early days. So Jan, you, had, um, till, uh, you started off the children's home with five children. Yes. Uh, that yep. has presumably now grown, but the, the yeah, there's six six children. Yeah, yeah. And you teach the local women. Are the women who are? Is it the women? Or the, sorry, are they the mothers of the children in the in their children's home, or are they from no. elsewhere? No. So in 2012, I went and had a, a meeting with our local community. So this lady had brought all these women together to meet me, and it was to ask them what they wanted in life. What did what what did they see for themselves? And they all wanted to learn to read and write and they wanted to learn a skill to raise their own income and, and develop their own sustainable lifestyles. And so that was the start of purchasing the five sewing machines. So were these um, single women or married women, young women, old women? Can you give us an idea of the... Uh... Uh, a really broad range. I think back to that meeting and I've got photos of it. Most of them were probably in their mid twenties, but there's our oldest student was eighty two. Oh goodness! With this, <laughs> a most beautiful photo of her with her book and learning to write in English. Um, so a lot of these women, because they um, were, you know, came from um, villages or their parents were poor, weren't educated at all. And if you go into our webpage and read some of their stories, some were um, married at the age of twelve had their first children by the time they were 16 and so just had no education. One of the uh, advantages or attractions of the process is the sustainability. You're giving mm. the women uh, sewing machines but this in turn mm. enables them to earn a living, is that correct? 
we don't give them sewing machines. They come for us for a lesson. Okay. So, yeah. So from those five sewing machines, we we rented one room and then over the next two years, we'd actually rented out the whole floor of that building and we ran we ran various courses. So we ran the sewing courses, the um, computer course, the numeracy and literacy courses, and then we also did specialised workshops. And, um, and and it's funny, like, with, with my charity, um, one of us, either my CEO or myself, we planned a seed. And at that point, I desperately wanted to start microloans for the oh, women yeah. to set them up in business. So that's um, Jan Pryor, and there'll be more to follow from Jan Pryor as we discuss a bit more about the microloans and other projects that uh, she's launched in Nepal. This is um, Triple H 100.1 FM. The program is Rotary Matters. My name is Ian Stewart. Welcome back. You're on uh, Triple H 100.1 FM. The program is Rotary Matters. And today we're talking about a remarkable and life-changing project in Nepal set up by Australian teacher and Rotarian Jan Pryor, who first went to Nepal in 2009. Now, one of her current ideas is to help local Nepalese women become economically independent. And I asked her if the idea of microloans is taking off. But it, it never worked. And I've learned working in a developing country that it's not what I want. It has to be what they want and when they're ready for it. And so, like, um, how many years later, um, we've just started our own cooperative with microloans. But it's taken about eight years for that seed to grow. Right. Um, and in my experience, I, anything I ever wanted, any, things that I've wanted or insisted on haven't worked if they didn't want it, if they weren't ready for it. And um, I've got lots of fine examples. But, um, yeah, so it, it's, I've, the biggest thing I've learned is not what I want. It is what they want and they feel is their community's need. It's, it's a vocational education course. Thank we, you. We, we, yeah, so we, we provide the mach- we bought five sewing machines and provide it, um, sewing lessons. Right, sewing lessons. Uh, okay, yeah. and now microloans to enable... Uh, are, the, are they mainly women, um, Jan Pryor, who, who are taking out the microloans? Yes, yes, but we've got a bit of a story in between there um, to get to the microloans. So what happened was a seed was planted during the earthquake that we built our own centre because, you know, we were training so many women in this really cramped space. So in 2018, we actually built our own three-storey building and which houses vocational education courses in it. So we've now become a learning centre. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so we had a big growth from, first of all, the children's home to five sewing machines and one room to the whole ground floor of the building, which was like four rooms, to our own three-storey building, which is still works in progress, and, 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 run, the, and educate hundreds of women every day. Right. I was going to ask, the demand must be huge, uh, Jan Pryor, for these, these services. What do yeah. the local Nepalese authorities think about all of this? Are they, are they supportive um, uh, or suspicious? or what, how, how does it work? Oh, very supportive. We, um, we're providing a service to that community and um, our local municipality, which is like our lo- local council, believes in our work so much um, that they fund quite a few of our courses now, um, and such as the beauty course, the um, 
we just run a one-month cooking course and because um, we have a professional kitchen now also yeah, that was funded by DFAT, oh. the Australian Aid Friendship Grants, yes. Yeah, so that was in 2018-19. Yeah, so um, local council, they're, they're always um, promoting our, our school to the local communities, when, especially the mayor is very in favour of it. He attends all of our events as um, our high-profile high dignity, dignitary. Yeah, we've come a long way. Absolutely. A very long way. And, and so... Uh, Looking at your website, uh, Jan, I see Bright Future Learning Centre is one of your activities. Well, that's the children's home. Oh, that's the name yeah. of the children's home. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're all teenagers now. They're all in college. <laughs> 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 yeah, so we've, I've got two years to go of funding, funding them, and um, they'll all be standing on their own two feet you as young, have... independent adults. Well, you must you must feel very proud of what you've done. I mean, it is a terrific uh, initiative that you took 12, 13 years ago to take in uh, the, the, the the to start a children's home and then to develop it in the ways that you have. What are the barriers? Yeah. What are the barriers now to you in expanding the work of your foundation, Jan? Well, COVID was the biggest barrier, right? Um, we it was just tragic it was um a, a dreadful time it was worse than the 2015 earthquake i mean 8000 8000 people died in the earthquake but with covid the problem was with, with the earthquake people came to help you know from all over the world people came but with covid people stayed away and so you had this developing country that had very poor governance that was just falling apart Right. Um, they they had three lockdowns. Um, in lockdown meant people couldn't work, people didn't get paid, people um, were starving, people were dying. And probably the second lockdown was the worst um, when it was just I was, and it hadn't really hit here as severe as severe as our our big lockdown. Um, and it was I was getting calls every day, and the worst day ever was. Um, my CEO had phoned and said, oh, my God, um, he'd gone to the hospital to help. He'd gone to, you know, the Diddy team that was, we, we paid all our employees during COVID. So some of them went and helped at the hospital just doing data entries because I was trying during the vaccination program. And he came home and um, four people around our house had died. 40 people in our little community had died and oh. it was just tragic and there's nothing you can do. So being a Rotarian and he was a Rotarian and we were both presidents of our Rotary Clubs, we got together and we organised a global grant and we were able to purchase 16 oxygen concentrators for our local hospital. And that was a massive um, undertaking with a lot of support from our district governor, Lindsay May and... David Dean Foundation Chair, but um, and it happened quite quickly that we were able to do that because that was the other thing. People were dying because they didn't have oxygen and it's just such a horrible thought that something that is available here that just yeah. wasn't available there. So, so that was... A, a, where, did they, where did they come from, the machines? Did they come from Australia? We, we, we sourced them in Nepal. In they Nepal. came from, yes, we sourced them in, in Nepal and they came from China yeah yeah so that was um 
very felt very we both felt very proud to be able you know our rotary clubs to be able to do this for so, our community um jan you have a program called the diddy aid tour which allows people to come and get a closer look at what you're doing and uh, make a contribution mm. can you tell us a little bit about that what actually happens how would you apply where would you go what would you do yeah, so um, with the Diddy Aid Tours, um, they stopped in th 2020, three weeks before departure date, because <laughs> it, it, everything happened with COVID very quickly. And, yeah, so you register online your expression of interest and then we follow up with you. We're currently setting out probably possibly, um, we're setting possible dates starting from November. But talking of past experiences, in April people would come with me to help um, with my work. It's the beginning of the school year. And originally it was to help get those six children of mine off to school. <laughs> now we actually support three schools and they're very um, disadvantaged schools. So people come with me and we take their educational resources to them for the year. One of them is a school for child labourers, um, which is near the ancient city of Bhaktapur. So those children are indentured to the brickyards, some of them, indentured to the brickyards so that their parents can be employed. And come, then they've come to school during the day and then they go back to the brickyards of an afternoon or to other paid employment. And so it was a very, very poor school and um, they asked us to lift the profile. So that's where we provide uniforms, books, we've provided the internet. Um, so that was that's one school we take educational resources to. Then we travel east and we go to a very remote school which in Ramachap, which we rebuilt after the earthquake. And I was actually the first foreigner to ever go there. And we take 12 months educational resources up to them. And um, it's quite a journey. And these children walk for two hours to come for this very special day. And Diddy always has a party. So we... Um, you know, they get a whole apple each, which is such a big treat. They get a little lolly, a, like a popper, popper drink. Um, what else they get? A couple of little treats, plus all their educational resources for the year. And then we head further east and we go to the school, which fills our heart with so much happiness. It's the a deaf school, a deaf boarding school. And we spend a few days there with the children. And believe it or not, they love you to read books to them. You know, we spend like two days colouring in, reading and reading books in English and they can't hear, but they just love it. Um, yeah, and so we spend a couple of days there. Then we head down to um, Chitwan National Park for a bit of an R&R &R and then up to Pokhara and then back to, which is um, it, at the base of the Himalaya. And then we come back to Kathmandu. But whilst in Kathmandu, we see all the famous sites and um, spend time at Diddy headquarters. So it's a, a very, um, very busy tour. It's um, people say it's the best thing they've ever done, and it's very hands-on. And, and how long? How long is the tour? Ten, ten days. And what skills do people need to bring with them um, to take part in this? I, are you looking for people with uh, teaching skills or um, practical anybody, trade skills? Anybody, anybody can come. So uh -huh. it depends on. Um, what skills you have that if we can utilise those skills. So someone came that had IT, they might sit with our IT people and, and go review our programs or um, teachers teaching English, they do a couple of classes, 
in the women's centre. Yeah, so basically we utilise what you can offer. We don't have much time for school-based. Um, there was a project coming with us in 2020, school in a bag, school in a box, and they were going to run workshops about using that program. Yeah, generally everyone just comes and, and does their bit, basically coming to help me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, bring resources that are needed. But everyone feels, everyone comes away feeling that they understand and know Nepali culture and Nepali people and see the real Nepal because we go east. We It's not the tourist trail until we get down to Chitwan and, and Pokhara. We also do schoolies. I, for two, schoolies. Three years, <laughs> for two years, I took schoolies and the, the 2020 had to be cancelled. And um, and two of the first schoolies that came with us are actually on my board of directors now. So um, and the, and they eventually will take the schoolie tours. But um, I, I had people come up to me the other day saying at school saying, are "You um, are you going to do schoolies this year? We want to come with you." And I said, "You want to come with me like an old lady?" And of course, we want to come and help you, Miss. And you go, "What an honour! How you know that these young people." I mean, I've been talking about it since they're in year eight, want to actually come and give back to community, um, a developing country, and, and travel with an older lady. <laughs> well, listeners, you should be aware that Jan Pryor is herself a high school teacher on the Central Coast here in New South Wales, and obviously much beloved by her students at that school, and also... Some of the by, students. Some of the students, <laughs> but also by the students in uh, Nepal for whom she's provided some wonderful opportunities. Jan, um, Didi Aid Tour could be starting up late this year. If somebody wants to find out more about that tour or indeed about the Didi Foundation. Yeah, um, didifoundation.org.au. And our Facebook page is more up to date than the web page about what we've been doing. Okay. So didifoundation.org.au or go on to the website uh, the Facebook page for Diddy yes. Foundation. Um, the, the word Diddy, Diddy Foundation Incorporated. The word Diddy, Jan, means what exactly? It means sister. So when I first started, uh, when we decided to register in Nepal and in Australia, I thought, oh, what? I've got to come up with a name. And when you, you walk around the streets, all the little children call out, hey, Diddy, hey, Diddy. And ah. it's like, it's like um, Aboriginal people calling auntie. Yes. You know, um, and it's just such a highly respected word. And I don't think there's any word in the English language that means the same. But um, so when, when I decided on the Diddy Foundation, um, my team around me in Nepal got incredibly emotional. And, and also then when my CEO went to register in Nepal, they all got a very emotional too. And it was probably the quickest registration ever ah. <laughs> because ah. such a highly respected word. All right. Well, look, um, Jan, thank you so much.